Well, I want to ask you a question today, and I, I realize this is going to be uh, maybe a little controversial in the room, but we're going we're gonna to go ahead and go there anyway because Pastor Wayne's gone, so we'll kick up a little controversy while he's away, and then he can come. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, how many of you like to run? Any runners in the room? All right, all right, all right. few of you. I see you. I see you. You're my people. I like to run. Uh, anybody that's like, I only run if I'm being chased. Any of those people? Okay, all right. Overwhelming majority. Uh, and then there's some other people in the room that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll run to Winn-Dixie. I'll run to the grocery store. Like, in my car, I'll run to the gas station. Hello? Or like, I'll run to the kitchen to get a snack. And by run, I mean walk slowly into the kitchen to get myself a snack and bring it back to my couch. But Hey, I, I like to run, but I, I really prefer to race. I, I like to race. I, I like to train for races, and, and I've done different races at points and times in my life. And at the height of the, height of the pandemic last year, Laura, my wife, and I, my wife Laura and son Colin are right over here. Come on, give it up for them. Hey, hey, hey. We were running like five, six, seven miles a day because, you know, there's nothing else to do, right? And it was like, hey, let's take 40 minutes and get away from our kids and just leave them at home and go for a run. I'm just kidding. I love our kids. I'm only kidding. Come on, work with me here. Give me a laugh. But I like to race. You know, running is like kind of like, if I'm being honest, I like to run so that I can eat kind of whatever I like to eat, which is like chips and cookies and things. And, and you know, it, it kind of helps me keep the weight at bay. If I run a little bit, I can eat a little bit. Come on, somebody. But I like to race is what I like to do. And the thing about racing right now is that they're doing this thing with COVID-19 where they have virtual races. Can I tell you what a virtual race is? A trick. It's just a way to get your registration money because you're not actually going to race anybody except yourself. You're just going to go out for a run and say that it was a race. Now, one of the reasons I like racing is because there are other people. Come on. Like, there are other people. Y'all ever seen, like, a greyhound race? Like, they let the bunny go and the, people, the, the greyhounds chase the bunny? And they, they like are focused on the bunny and catching the bunny. Some of y'all never seen greyhound racing. It's okay. Look, greyhounds are fast dogs. And what they do in a greyhound race is let a bunny go on the inside of the track. The dogs shoot off after the bunny. They're not worried about crossing the finish line first. They're worried about the bunny, right? But in a race, my approach, my philosophy in a race is I'm going to get somebody in my sights that's a ways up there. And I'm going, to trace, I'm going to chase them down. I'm going to track them down. It might take me half a mile or a mile or two miles, but I'm focused, say focused. I'm focused on that person off in the distance that I'm trying to catch. And I've actually, uh, there was a time in my life about 10 years ago where I ran a half marathon, 13.1 miles. How many of you know that's a long race, right? Long race. And I, was, I, was, I remember being very focused very focused on not just my environment, my surroundings, my breathing, my, my technique, which is a lot better than I just demonstrated right there, okay? I was focused on all those things, but I, was, I had a goal. I wanted to finish in under two hours. I was focused on the per people in front of me that I could catch, okay? And what happens when you catch somebody? You pick a new person to catch, 
And so my goal would, would just continue to continually transfer to, okay, who can I run down now? And who can I run down now? And if somebody would pass me, that would make me mad, and I would try to keep up with them. But I was continually shifting my focus because 13.1 miles is a long time, and so I was trying to stay focused on the road in front of me. Stay focused on the goal, which was to finish the race. Come on, somebody. And so I just remember being incredibly focused in that race. And the author of Hebrews, as, as we begin to dive into chapter 3, what he's telling his, his audience is that you have to stay focused. You've got to keep your focus in the right place. How many of you know we live in a world filled with distractions? How many of you are guilty of checking your email or texting at a stoplight? Come on, don't lie in church, y'all lying. Come on, we can't even drive to the grocery store without checking our text messages. We are distracted by nature. Come on, like, I, there are times the other night the NFL draft was on, I had the NFL draft on my computer and a movie on the TV. I was multitasking because we can easily lose focus. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The author begins this chapter by saying this, Therefore, pause. Oh, it's, it's going to take a long time if I pause at every word, right? Therefore, anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, we should be asking ourselves, what is that there for? What is that there for? Because he's alluding to things that he's already built up in chapters 1 and 2. Therefore, what do you mean therefore? Therefore what? So he's, he's going back to the argument that he's already put in place in chapters 1 and 2 because he's about to continue building on that argument in chapter 3. Therefore, since chapter 1, Jesus is a better messenger than the prophets and he's got a better message. Therefore, since Jesus is the Son of God, therefore, since... Jesus was also fully man, and we talked last week about how he's not just a perfect savior, but a perfect sympathizer. Therefore, since he is fully God, fully man, and he's a greater messenger with a greater message, therefore, here's what we need to do. Are you ready? Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Interesting. Therefore, since Jesus is greater, fix your thoughts on him. Therefore, since Jesus has a better message, fix your thoughts on him. Because he's both the apostle and the high priest. Watch this. The apostle goes to the people on God's behalf. The high priest goes to God on the people's behalf. Are you with me this morning? Say, yeah. So some of you need to bump your neighbor and say, focus, like you're already losing your focus. He is an ambassador, both from God to the people and from the people to God. Jesus is the mediator. And he says, he says therefore, since we share in this calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy 
of greater honor than Moses. We look at that and we say, yes, of course, duh. The Israelites would look at that and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What do you mean Jesus is greater than Moses? Jesus is greater than Moses. And the writer goes on and says, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a, what's that word? Servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a, what's that word? Son. He's making this comparison between Moses, who is just a servant, and Jesus, who is the Son of God. And he goes on to say, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. If, oh, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So the writer here we see is using this comparative language. He's drawing this comparison between Moses and Jesus. He's drawing this comparison and he's saying, why would you focus or fixate so much on the house when you could be focused on the builder of the house? Hello? Or in other words, why are you so focused on Moses who is only a servant, a faithful servant, but a servant nonetheless, when you could be focused instead on the son. He says, focus on the son, not the servant. And to the Jews, you have to understand, though, that there was no greater leader than Moses. Moses, like he was the guy. He was the man. He had experienced God at the burning bush, went to Egypt to set the Israelites free out of slavery. He had He had been a part of the 10 plagues that came upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He he was there at the Red Sea when the Red Sea split apart. Hello? He was the one in the desert that made water come from the rock. Moses was the one leading millions of people through the, the desert wilderness. Moses, the same one who received the Ten Commandments face to face with God. How many of you know, like, that's, that's pretty impressive, Moses, right? He got the, the commandments from God face to face, not once, but twice. Came down the first time. They were messing up. Come on, y'all know the story. Through the commandments, he's like, oh, that was silly. Now I got to go back and get those again. Those were important. Okay, all right. Moses, he got the law. Look, the, the Jewish people esteemed the law so highly. How much more do you think they esteemed Moses who brought them the law? Moses who actually wrote the first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch. He wrote those first five books, which to those that were practicing Judaism, they esteemed that very highly. Do you ever wonder, like, hey, when did Moses have time to write five books of the Bible? Like, he was leading two million people through the desert. I don't know. I I just wonder, like, when did he have time to do that? that? Two million people, that's a lot. The writer is saying, Jesus is greater than Moses. But to a Jewish audience, that's a tough pill to swallow because they they esteem Moses so highly. So it goes on to say in verse number seven, so as the Holy Spirit says today, say today, say today. 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. Come on, we get frustrated after like a few, few efforts, like 40 years, frustration. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. History lesson, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They had been through the Red Sea. They were eating manna from heaven every day. Come on, how many of you think if you saw like bread fall from heaven every day and you were eating that stuff, like you would have a high level of faith that God's going to provide for you, right? They, they'd experienced the manna. They had followed the pillar of, of cloud by, by day and fire by night. They had followed the pillars. They had experienced all of these things and they're standing at the edge of the promised land. They're standing at the edge of the, the place that God had promised to give them, their inheritance, if you will. And it says in Scripture that they decided to send out spies, to go into the land to, to determine if, if, which way to go and, and what to do. And so they, they pick one spy from every tribe, and they send out the 12 spies. And, and most of you probably know the story better than me, but the, the spies come back, and 10 of them gave a bad report. Say bad report. Ten of them gave a bad report. Two of them gave a good report. The, the, the spies come back and they're like, man, that land is awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. There's like all this good stuff there. But the people are really big and scary. And they have big walls. So I don't think we should go in. Except for Caleb and Joshua who gave a good report. And what happens is because of the bad report, the people began to doubt. The people began to doubt and they, they decided in that moment that they were going to disobey God. That they weren't going to go in. That, that they were scared, that they didn't trust God enough to do it, that, that they weren't ready to go in yet. And so the bad report led to their disobedience. And then God says, okay, boom, enough. I'm done with, uh, okay, all right. Y'all done. You can wander around for 40 years in the desert. I'll give it to your kids. Hello? And the kids are like, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. They probably weren't happy. The, the, the adults were going to be killed off. They were going to be wiped out, but it was going to happen over a period of 40 years. And the, the inheritance was going to the next generation. You see, it took 10 plagues to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. It took 40 years for God to train the Israelites what it meant to walk in obedience to him. I want to talk for a few moments about what a hardened heart looks like. Now, I know that there are many people in this room that have probably attended church longer than I've been alive, and some of you have attended church longer than I've been serving Jesus. And I know that our tendency, if we've been a longtime Christ follower, 
might be to kind of tune the preacher out when he starts talking about a hardened heart. Like, uh, I'm good. Like, my heart's not hard. I've been living for Lord, like, 25 years. I, like, I, do you know what I do? Like, I serve, I'm a leader. I volunteer. I, do, have you seen my giving records? Like, like, I know that that is our natural tendency if you are a seasoned Christ follower in the room. But I want to challenge you this morning to do a little self-evaluation of the status of your heart. I want to talk for just a moment about three behaviors of a hardened heart. Number one, when you stop trusting God. When you stop trusting God, it's a pretty good indication that your heart might be becoming hard. When you stop trusting God for the healing that you've prayed for for years, when you stop trusting God in your finances because you haven't seen a breakthrough, when you stop trusting God for the salvation of that loved one that is nowhere near in your eyes coming to the Lord, when you stop trusting God. The Israelites were guilty of failing to continue on in trusting God. Watch this. Even though the Red Sea, the manna, the pillars, all of these things, even though they had seen all of that, they were failing to continue in their trust of God. Some of y'all have seen some things. Come on. Some of y'all have seen God do some stuff. And today I just want to encourage you not to allow your heart to be hard, but to remember the things that God has done. So they began to distrust God. They began to say things like, Moses, we were ready to go back to Egypt. At least we had food in Egypt. This manna, I'm tired of it. This don't even taste that good. We had, we had meat. We had all the good stuff in Egypt. Oh, you mean where you were in slavery? Yeah. I'd rather be back there than in this place where I'm journeying with God, just trusting him day by day. Can I tell you that walking with God is a, is a journey of walking with God? Trusting moment by moment and day by day. So when you stop trusting God, your heart becomes hard. The second behavior associated with a hardened heart is when you put God on trial. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you put God on trial, in other words, they approached God as if he needed to meet their approval instead of them needing to meet his approval. They put God on trial. They said, God, why do we got to do it like this? God, why, why is this not going the way that we expected? God, why, why this? Why that? And they're putting God on trial. They're, they're wanting God to prove himself before they continue to walk with him. Can I tell you that God's already proven himself? That we don't need any further proof. That the cross was evidence enough of God's goodness. Come on, if you're going to do it, do it. But when we put God on trial, we're in danger of our heart becoming hard. Third thing is this. Third evidence of a, a heart that is becoming hard is when you continually go astray. When you keep going astray come on we all go astray now and then hello we all make mistakes here and there but there's a difference between an occasional mistake 
and a willful tendency to go astray. At some point, you know you're going astray. Hello? Like, at some point, I know that what I'm doing is not right and that I need to change my behavior, and I need God's help to do that. But when we continually go astray, then it's an evidence of a hardened heart. The Israelites would follow a little bit, things would look good for a minute, then they'd wander. Follow, wander. Follow, wander. How many of you know we are prone to live like the Israelites? We are prone to wander. It says they did what was right in their own eyes. That's not just their story, that's our story. But we don't have to be stuck in a pattern of going astray again and again and again and again. Why? Because we have God's Spirit to help us stay on track. Somebody say focus. We've got to focus. So the author of Hebrews is reminding them of their ancestors and he's saying, don't be like them. Come on, some of y'all have that genealogy that you're like, yeah, I need that reminder too. I know I do. So here's the warning he gives them. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. A sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So next question, what does an unbelieving heart look like? That, that sounds a little worse than a hardened heart. Unbelieving heart, that's like next level if you're with me this morning. Well, in the English language, we usually associate disbelief with doubt. If I don't believe something, I doubt it. It's what's happening between my ears. Hello? It's, a, it's an intellectual thing. Unbelief is happening in our minds. That's typically the way that we think about unbelief. Are you all with me this morning? But what we have to understand is that unbelief is not inability to understand, watch this, but unwillingness to trust. I'm going to say it again because I, I, I just want it to get in our hearts. Unbelief is not an unwillingness to understand, but rather an inability to trust, like the Israelites. They understood what to do. They did not trust that they could do it or that God would do it for them. Hello? It's not, it, it is a matter of the will, not our intelligence. Unbelief is not here. It's what we do. It's our actions. It's a matter of the will. And so here's kind of an equation. And if you're not a math person, I apologize. It's coming anyway, okay? Some of you are like, ah, oh, algebra flashbacks. No, here it comes. Now, let me help everyone. That equal sign with a slash through it means not equal to, okay? All right, I, I, I had to remind myself. So disbelief is not equal to doubt. Disbelief is equal to disobedience. If I don't believe, then I don't obey. So it's not simply a matter of doubt. It's bigger than that. Hello? Unbelief is bigger than what, what is happening in our minds. It's what... We are putting our hands and our feet to It's what we are doing. Disbelief is equal to disobedience. And in the same way, faith is not equal to certainty. Rather, faith equals obedience. 
In other words, unbelief means I disobey. Belief and faith means I obey God. That is what it looks like to walk by faith. So when I have biblical faith, I actually trust God enough to do what he says. If I have biblical faith, I actually trust God enough to do what his word says, to do what the Spirit is speaking to me for my life. If I have biblical faith, I trust God enough to do what he says. Now, I've heard a lot of people, and you probably have too, say something like, I believe in God, but their actions, they never do anything based upon their beliefs. They simply intellectually say, I believe in God. But their actions don't demonstrate an obedience that they actually believe in a way that is beyond belief, but faith. Because faith leads to obedience. It's kind of like the chair that you're sitting in. You can believe that that is a chair. But having faith in the chair means that you are going to sit on the chair. Hello? You see a chair, you're like, yep, I think that's a chair. I believe that's a chair. But the moment that you demonstrate faith in the chair is when you try to sit in that chair. In other words, when I put my full weight in something. When you have faith in God, you will put your full confidence in Jesus. Amen? And that's what we see that the Israelites failed to do in our story today. And maybe you're here and you're maybe not necessarily a church person, or you're not really sure where you're at in your faith with God, I just want to help you just for a moment. I want to just give you uh, permission and let you know that you'll probably never be 100% certain. That's why it's called faith. You'll probably never be 100% certain, but you can walk by faith. You can choose to trust. Let's continue in our text in verse 13. Tell your neighbor, focus. I know it's getting late. Come on. Say focus. Come on. Say focus. Verse 13, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Guess what today is? Today. Guess what tomorrow is going to be? Today. The day after that is going to be today too. Every day is today. He says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Now the word for encourage that the writer uses here is the, is the Greek word parakaleo. Parakaleo. Now we think of encourage like, hey, nice job, way to go, gold star. This is like way bigger than just a little pat on the back, a little attaboy. To encourage, it, it means to beg, to entreat, to beseech to exhort. In other words, it's a very strong encouragement to do what? Stay on the right path. That's what the, that's what the writer is talking about. He's not saying, hey, just uh, like encourage each other. Tell, tell that person, hey, I like your shoes. I like your purse. I, hey, good job on serving on the greeter team. Like, no, this is like encourage one another to stay on course. Encourage one another to focus. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Can I ask you, who are you parakaleoing with? Who are you exhorting 
Or who's exhorting you? Because here's an important concept that we have to grasp. Iniquity or sin thrives in isolation. Iniquity or sin thrives when we are in isolation. In other words, if I don't have anyone exhorting me, I'm a whole lot more likely to go my own way. Come on. But if I'm in community, if I'm connected with people that are parakaleoing, that are exhorting, not just saying, hey, you're so good, right? We think of encouragement as always being like, good job, boy." Can I tell you, sometimes you need the type of encouragement that tells you what's hard to hear. The type of encouragement that says, hey, I see a tendency in your life that concerns me. Hey, I see a tendency in your life that makes me concerned for where you're at with God, and we speak the truth in love. Parakaleo. Have you ever noticed that we, we have this innate ability to rationalize our own disbelief and believe the lies that we tell ourselves? We can rationalize the patterns in our lives that are unhealthy spiritually. We can believe the lies that we tell ourselves. I'm good. I'm in a good place with God. How's your prayer life? Well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm in a good place with God. How are you treating your, your, your family? Eh. We rationalize our own unbelief. We believe the lies that we tell ourselves. If we are not parakaleoing with one another, danger in blinking lights. That's a dangerous place to be if you don't have anyone in your life exhorting you and you don't have other people that you're exhorting. Let's continue to build on our main point for today. Really what I'm saying is that we have to help each other. We have to help each other. Tell somebody, I, I need your help. Come on, tell them, I need your help. Why? Listen to what it says next. Verse 13. Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Why do we need encouraged? So that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you know sin is very deceitful? Because if it came with full exposure of its consequences, it wouldn't look so appealing. Come on. If I could tell my 13-year-old self all the consequences that would have been associated with my actions for the next 10 years, sin would not have looked so appealing. But sin doesn't fully disclose. It is deceitful. It's it, from the very beginning, the nature of sin is deceitfulness. Watch this. Sin is deceitful in the way that it comes to us. Rewind to Genesis 3. Sin came in the form of a shrewd serpent that said, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that tree? Did he really say that? Deceitful. It's deceitful in the way that it comes to us. Watch. It's deceitful in what it promises us. If you eat of that tree, God knows that you're going you're gonna to be just as, as wise as him. You're going to have the wisdom that God has. You will be like God. It's deceitful in what it promises. 
Sin is deceitful in what it calls itself. In the name of wisdom, you can disobey God, Adam and Eve. It's okay, because you're just going to be wise. And watch this. Sin is deceitful in the excuses that it makes, both before and after. Rewind Genesis 3. God finds Adam and Eve hiding. He's like, what are y'all doing? Adam's like, well, that woman. Hello? Excuses. And then Eve's like, well, that serpent. Excuses. Sin is deceitful. We can't allow one another to be deceived by sin. We have to parakaleo, exhort one another to stay focused. Sin is deceitful because it tastes good, looks good, and feels good. But at the end of the road, it leaves us empty, lonely, hurting, broken, wanting. The reason we exhort one another is to prevent being hardened by the, de the deceitfulness of sin. Hey, if you ask somebody if they're deceived, you know what they're going to say? Even if they are deceived? No, I don't think I'm deceived. Why? Because they're deceived. If you ask somebody if they have a blind spot in their life, you know what they're going to say? I, I don't see any blind spots. Why? It's a blind spot. We don't know what we don't know, but we need other people to help us know. Are you deceived? We need each other to tell, tell one another more than just, hey, nice shoes, but hey, are you, how are you doing with Jesus? Do you know the church is one of the easiest places to hide from God? Because that question right there is pretty uncommon in church. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? How are you doing spiritually? We need one another to encourage one another the right way. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We have to help each other not be deceived by sin. We have to help each other hold firmly to the very end. He says, we've come to share in Christ. In another translation, it says, we've become partakers in Christ. Y'all remember like at lunch in middle school, like you, you maybe, I don't know, it's been a while for me, so you might not remember, but some of you, uh, you might remember like your parents pack you a lunch and you're like, oh, I don't like what I have. I want to trade with other people. I want to like, and you look for the people that had the good stuff. Hello? And like you try to pawn off your carrots for like a cookie or something. You want to share with the good stuff. How many of you know there's nobody better to share with in Christ. It says we can share in Christ. We can be partakers with him. Partakers of what? His life. Partakers of his glory. Partakers of his healing. Partakers of his forgiveness. Watch out now. Partakers of his suffering. Oh. Partakers of his obedience. Partakers of his resurrection power. Hello. You can partake in the power, goodness, and glory of Christ. But watch this, there's an if clause. It's not unconditional. If means if you do this, then this. Hello? It says, 
you can partake in all of that good stuff if you hold firmly to the very end. Because it's not enough just to start well, we have to end well. The Israelites, man, things started really good when they crossed the Red Sea. Started really good as they're going on their way to the promised land. But for that first generation that died off after 40 years in the desert, things didn't end well. Because they didn't persevere to the end. My my hope and my prayer is that, that you would make it to the end. In order to persevere in our faith, we've got to focus. We've got to have other people encouraging, exhorting us to make it to the end. And we have to persevere. Can I tell you, we're we're not good at focus in our culture. We're also not super good at persevere. We like easy. Come on. We like easy. Can I tell you, this is a race. You're running a race. And you only win if you finish. I can't imagine having ran that half marathon so many years ago and stopping at mile 11 or mile 12 or mile 13 and saying, oh man, I was close, good enough. I almost made it. Started off good. Didn't quite finish. Didn't stay focused. Couldn't quite make it. Hello? In our faith, we have to persevere. Hey, I just need to challenge the believers in the room today to persevere in your faith. Maybe you feel like the last year has knocked you off course and and you're questioning, you're doubting, and and you have all these, these issues and turmoil internally right now. Can I tell you to just persevere? Just keep running. Remember, I said, like, I would always pick someone out in a race to chase. When we, when we follow God, we're essentially going as far as Jesus shows us. Hello? We're, it's a faith journey. You walk as far as you can see. God will show you things, and, and maybe you don't have the whole picture. Guess what? That's a good thing, because if we did, we'd probably mess up. But you walk as far as you can see, and then you do it again. Jesus says, okay, I've showed you how to get here. Now I'm going to take you on to the next place. Follow me again. And it feels like we're always just trying to pursue him because guess what? That place of dependence is the sweet spot that he wants you in. But we've got to persevere. We've got to persevere. We have to help each other not be deceived by sin so that we can make it to the end. Come on, everyone in here wants to make it to the end. Focus. Get the right people around you to encourage you. Listen to how this verse closes. As we we wrap up today, let's read verses 15 through 19. Just as has been said today, say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. There's that harden your hearts talk again. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led? And with whom he was angry for 40 years? Can you imagine how angry Moses was? Side note. Oh, I can't believe that you guys wouldn't just go in. We were here. Now we got to walk around for 40 years? I think he probably was angry. Was it not those whose bodies perished in the wilderness and to whom God 
swore that they would never enter his rest because they had disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter, watch this, because of their unbelief. Our unbelief can prevent us from entering God's rest and his best for our lives. And can I tell you that even in the church, we struggle with unbelief. We struggle with unbelief. These, the unbelief is what kept them out of the promised land. It wasn't their past that kept them out. Watch this. It wasn't their lack of resources that kept them out. And it was not their difficult circumstances that kept them out of the promised land. Sometimes we struggle with things and we're like, man, if I just had more resources or man, if I, I just, if my circumstances were better, man, you don't know what I've been through. And while I, I want to say all that might be valid, can I tell you that sometimes what prevents us from the good things that God has in store for us is our unbelief, as hard as that might be to hear. And today I just want to call out unbelief. And I, I would just pray that the gift of faith would be released in the church today. Would you stand this morning and just bow your heads as we close?